0: Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. Hey, welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing really good, Dalton. Yeah. Are you uh, are you sipping on some coffee? Of course I am. Good. Right here. What do you got today?
1: Oh, actually, I don't know. It's my dad's coffee. It's really good.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter, as long as it's good. What about you? Uh, I'm drinking some Chance coffee. It's an espresso. It's very good. <sighs> It's uh that coffee. It's actually delicious, but um, <laughs> let's get into our guest today. Do you want to to intro who we have on the show?
1: Sure thing. Pretty excited this week. Uh, last week we had a, our first student on the show. This week we've got our first professor on the show. Uh, the reason we're having him on, his name is Daryl Yardley, is he's our professor of our business class. One of our favorite classes. It was really exciting. Uh, one of those classes that really pushes the boundaries and just gets you thinking outside the box. Uh, he's also excellent at just getting people to come and talk to the class. Uh, we talked to uh, Jimmy McKay at the class who came on, uh, creator of the PT Pinecast, came on and talked to us. And so it's just one of those classes you're looking forward to going to. And he's got lots of thoughts. So without further ado, how you doing, Daryl?
2: Hey guys, how are you? Thanks. Uh, thanks for the invite
0: of course, to, be no
2: to, be, to be the first prof. Yeah.
0: You, <laughs> have, you have to set the, set the bar.
2: Yeah. no, No pressure. eh
1: nah, you're no good. pressure at all.
2: No. Hey, I'm glad you guys enjoyed the course though. You guys, uh, your class was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a great course.
0: Yeah. It was, it, it's good. I think it was a different style than majority of our classes. So kind of, I think it'll let people kind of shine on, on like who they were and like ask some questions that maybe they wouldn't be able to ask to other profs, uh, in the program
2: yeah for sure and i think it's it's sort of that ability to see how how interactive your class was and engaged they were is sort of supports the uh how how brighter future is in the next uh years to come
1: Yeah. yeah i feel like that was the best part about the class was just the level of engagement like you could really go back and forth and get some good debate going and stuff like is that something uh that you've kind of figured out over the years how to get to that point
2: yeah I think the you know you know looking at things that used to inspire me quite a bit was you know spending a lot of time looking at TED talks and stuff like that right so you're you know you got this vision of one day being on a stage similar to that but when you see how many people are you know when you're watching them on YouTube you see many people are are viewing these you know these talks and, and how many of them are liking those talks versus the Know, how many thumbs down? Type of approach is it's just a way to to judge in, engagement and, and allow people to feel that they can be involved in that in that discussion as opposed to just reviewing slides. And I think a lot of a lot of my education prior to going to physio school was just about slides and, and studying in the university. Like you guys would have would have can attest to as well. But I think that that ability to 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 create sort of a even a vulnerable opportunity at times for even the professor to to sort of put something on the table that people may quite frankly 100% disagree with but getting that getting that peer peer to peer and and soon to be colleague to colleague discussion going i think is really important for the for the future of the profession
1: yeah totally agree and i think one thing is sometimes you feel like you're strongly against uh a topic or a viewpoint but then when you get challenged on it it's really hard to actually come up with some thoughts to argue against that point so i feel like that class like really gets you to actually think think about how you can convince somebody of your side of the point. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and I think over the years, it's been, it's been kind of a shift for me, right. To, you know, you have a thought in your head, which you think is right. Um, and you know, in the past, you kind of steer people back to thinking, okay, well, you know, this this way is right, and you know, you're probably going to get tested on it. But not not sort of having as much of a focus on the evaluation component is is been nice for us, right? So, and you know, one of the first conver- debates I think we had in that class actually was, um, besides Jordan giving me that you know, that challenge around the unemployment rate of zero versus 0.3, which I still have not really fully figured out what he was talking about, but I figured he's a really smart guy. So he must've had some, some sense there. Yeah. Um But was that debate around the dental model? Right. And actually, I think that, you know, debate should physios be seeing patients as, you know, in a dental model as a family physio. And we had this, you know, should we be seeing people every six months or a year? And it was really in that room, you could tell people weren't comfortable with that. Some were on board, some weren't yeah. on board. Um, but interestingly, by the time that final assignment came that you guys did around, you know, the how can you change practice and what is your role as a young physio? I was actually shocked with how many people utilize that dental model as, as sort of an an opportunity to... Oh, um dental or the physio mo- or the family physio model as really saying this is something that we can be doing, so it's huh. kind of interesting to see how a debate made people uncomfortable, and then all of a sudden it was is people had the maybe just more of the comfort or the knowledge around it now to say, you know what actually, I could make this work as a practicing clinician, so it's really nice to see it come full circle, but I think a lot of that um that full circle is related to the fact that you guys were such an engaged class and, and actually challenged each other, which I thought was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Like that, yeah. the dental model is interesting. Like they're so aggressive. Like you'll get like a phone, like I'll get phone calls from my dentist, like emails asking me to come in.
2: Yeah. My dentist messaged me on Facebook. She's like <laughs> No way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, I've known her for like years. Right. So we actually studied together back in university and she'll say, you know, you haven't been in, it's it's been uh, nine months. And I'm like, well, my insurance is nine months, not six. She's like, Daryl, you know, better. (laughs) I'm like, fair enough. And you know, you do the walk of shame in there and you're like, I'm sorry. Have you flossed? No, no, no. I guarantee you don't go to, you don't go to the gym. Do you No. No. (laughs) So it's such a, but again, you know, the other day I'll, I'll, and again, this is not to be disrespectful. I think it's a brilliant model. But I walked in there and the dental hygienist was also someone we actually, lo and behold, went to school with us back in high school. And it was basically like a hour and a half session because it was like a catch-up. You know, you have kids, how's your kids, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, my the dentist walks in. Five minutes later, I get my bill for 340 bucks, <laughs> And I was like, what did you do? But however <laughs> she did her job. I had no cavities. I felt good. It was a great environment. And I booked my next appointment in six months, which clearly I'll cancel and make it to nine, right? So I don't have to pay out of pocket. But but just such a different world. It's just that's that's what you expect. But then again, she was extremely busy that whole time. It wasn't like she was drinking, you know, coffee with us. It was yeah. it was a matter of she was doing some pretty high level stuff that I think we almost, when you have a a general or typical checkup, we don't really appreciate the other stuff that's happening. So, you know, it's, it's an, it's an easy model to, you know, kind of jokingly critique, but I think it's a, it's a brilliant model that physiotherapists that's, you know, I think we've started to think about it. The question is, is will we start to integrate it more into, into the private sector, which is where all dental really sits?
0: Yeah. I think a big part of that too is like, uh, we kind of chatted about this a little bit before we started recording, but like the dentists have an identity, like, you know, what you're going to the dentist for, you know, what you're going to get. We were kind of chatting about how, you know, some people don't even really know what, what physiotherapy is. So like, I guess my question for you is like, how do we clear up that identity problem or get more people on board to making sure they know like what we're providing them?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, you know, and I think even when I graduated, it wasn't really a discussion that we were having at that time. Um And it, it may have been happening around me, but I certainly was not really involved in that. And it was probably when I actually first started teaching the business course at Western about five years ago. And I remember um sitting down with Jackie Sadie, one of your other profs, and Dave Walton at that time and sort of saying like, what is it that we actually are t- trying to tell people we do? And, but I think we actually have two, we're kind of faced with two, maybe even three problems, right? Is the fact that, you know, if you put 10 physios up in front of a classroom or in front of your class and said, you know, tell this class of future physiotherapists what it is that we do, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, and those 10 answers for all intents and purposes will be correct. Yeah. But they're, you know, trying to decipher what is the commonality in all those points is still in for, you know, my opinion is still yet to be determined, but the second challenge is, okay, we'll put 10, 10, potential patients. Even if you, we put 10 of our, you know, moms, dads, grandmas, brothers and sisters up there, all that know who we are, and they're going to give you 10 different answers. So you have a problem from even the provider level, as well as you have it from the potential consumer level, um, of people that have actually watched us grow over the course of six to seven years of university education. But then you go into the then you actually go into the into the space or the community. Now you've got service confusion, so it's not only like individuals are going to be looking at trying to define physio; they're going to be trying to define which who do I go see and for what problem. Um, and like you had said, you know, the dentists have created their identity. You know, most people know what a Cairo does, whether you agree or disagree with it. I actually I think that's a mute point. I think the reality is is people know that you can go to a chiro and you they will look at your back. Um and whether you want to say they adjust or they don't adjust and what you believe, that's that's one thing. But it's not really that confusing to the public. Um, you know, people know for a massage that you're gonna get a massage and it's gonna be a hands-on treatment, it's gonna be more or less relaxing. Mm -hmm. Um, but for physio, it's sort of well, what are you gonna get? Right. And I think it's certainly an area that we have to to work with, but I think it's more of a collaborative piece, right? It's, it's, it's going to have massive stakeholder involvement, but I think it, I think it actually an improvement, at least around our professional identity will start, I think organically at the, you know, at the frontline grassroots level, but I believe we have to start evolving that into a much bigger piece. Um, You know, I think the, you guys would have known the project that Dave Walton did the Physio Moves Canada. I think that's a pretty impressive environmental scan around all the great things that we do, but now it's a matter of, of working with, I think, what Dave has started to really start to iron iron out what is our identity. Mm-hmm. And then once we can figure that out, then we start to move into all the various channels of communicating that.
0: Yeah, Did it, I answer your question? No, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Will. Were you going to say something?
1: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, like, like that project, first of all, really insane. Like, he traveled all across Canada, you know, uh, mm-hmm. seeing different clinics and stuff. Do you, do you feel like his – like, I think he was talking about maybe if mobility is something that we can kind of get behind. Like, do you think he's on to something?
2: Yeah. Well, and it's tricky because, you know, I, I agree sort of on the mobility side of things, but um... – but then you'll ask another 10 people and they'll say, no, that's, that's not it. Right. And it's, and, and I think we've, we've actually almost kind of created some confusion ourselves. Right. So, yeah. you know, especially, especially when you, when you work and, you, and you've really bounced between the public and the private sector, which has sort of really been this sort of last little focus of my, of where my career is right now, but looking at to say, you know, I think we've sold ourselves all that for so long and it's just, our hands are so good. And, and, you know, there's certainly always going to be an art to profession without a doubt, but your art is only as good as your brain, right? So if you really know what's going on with a patient Mm -hmm. and you can't really, you know, take full advantage of your critical thinking and that knowledge base that we have, your hands aren't that art that you have really isn't as applicable. Whereas if you put the critical thinking onto that, our hand component it exponentially yields a result, a positive result. So, but I think we've spent so long saying, you know, we're, we're a hands on profession, which, which yes, we are, but, it's not, you know, I think we're selling ourselves short with the actual, you know, knowledge base and, and that critical thinking capacity that you guys have been building as for your for yourselves over the last two years. And then thinking of all the postgraduate work that a lot of people have. So I think when you're looking at different sectors out there, you know, mobility is one piece, but when you think about it, we're also starting to see this shift in some of these consultant type roles. Mm-hmm. And then we're having an impact in mobility, but we're actually not, we're, we're not necessarily doing it ourselves anymore. It, it's actually shifting back and just saying, okay, here are the options that you have, right? You know, if we take, you know, a total joint replacement or a, a knee away patient, let's say, for example, is our role is starting to shift into, you know, weight loss, be active, do some exercise consistently, you know, mm-hmm. seek some you know, counseling in different areas. But we're the front runners of that. But it's a little bit of shift away of saying we're you know, we're the mobility experts. We're actually, in that case, we're, we're facilitating and trying to promote that active lifestyle. So it's it's a little bit tricky to just say that we're all about mobility because we're all sitting in different in different roles within our, our current practice settings. But again, I believe everything we do, at least days on is something for sure because we have an attachment to mobility. But there's also some other people in our space so that would also determine that they're or suggest that they're the mobility experts. So again, we have to be cautious that, we're not going to go on to, you know, a, a very specific identity that's still going to have a lot of service confusion around it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, even even talking about the, the we're a hands-on profession, um, like I'm not arguing either point, but there's definitely a lot of physiotherapists that don't basically do no hands-on. Mm-hmm. So there's like two sides to that, you know?
2: Absolutely. And I know we had a, it was actually a lot of fun. Like about three, four years ago, we did a hot topic debate, about whether you know, physio could be a hands-on, should be a hands-on profession or not. And and I remember at the time I had just recently finished sort of, you know, I finished my F camps and I was actually still a practicing clinician um, work and doing a lot of mentorship, teaching people clinically, you know, what would you do when you see this walk through your, you know, your clinic door. And then I was actually on the panel to negate hands-on with Mike Landry and Mike was one of was my business professor at U of T um, in physio school and, and Mike's actually the the chair of Duke University right now oh, wow. and and it was super interesting to try to explain that yeah I don't have to be a hands-on you know practitioner and I think when we look at different components and, and again you know you know if it's an orthopedic case yeah for the most part if I think it's someone that has a, a pretty strong biomechanical focus versus you know their psychosocial might be a little bit smaller in in influence let's say on their symptoms of why they're coming to see me yeah I'll probably be a bit more hands-on but when you start to shift into some of that pain science where, where you have some, you know, when you think of where the science has become, you know, your bio, your biomechanical component to their symptoms are very small. And at times we've seen where hands-on is actually, um, potentially could be inhibiting their, their, their outcome, right. Delaysing, delaying their outcome. So I think now, you know, you're, and then you start to shift into someone who's just consulting, um, you know, doing a consultation over, you know, over an app these days, um, Mm -hmm. in doing video conferencing, you know, I'm not doing any hands-on, but I can guarantee you I'm being extremely effective. So I think technology is also evolving where, you know, where we actually are going to be in as, as, you know, regulated health professionals. So I think, you know, that, that hands-on piece that you brought up there, Will, I think it's still something that, um, will always have a place, but I think over time, our, our footprint of how we're going to be able to manage the masses of people that or the public that needs our services, it can't all be hands-on. So I think it's going to start to evolve, and and I believe you're going to see that that critical capacity of of our knowledge base and and how resource-rich physios can be, even in the most rural areas. Um, I think is going to start to shine in the years to come.
1: Cool. Yeah. So what do you think about um, uh, what do you think some of these new technological innovations are that can kind of help fit into that area you were talking about
2: yeah so so what i'll do is i'll, I'll save all the artificial intelligence stuff for where you guys go back for your consolidation unit with dave walton because dave's the dave knows all that stuff and i don't want to steal any of his thunder okay. um, but you know that that's a whole world that is is exciting in my opinion right so you know just just the just the potential that's there, right? It is fantastic. And again, it's one of those things where people, you know, will we say, Oh, eventually you're gonna be replaced by machines and and I, I don't think that's actually possible. Um, you know, I think technology machines may may improve our our, our ability to be effective and, and to improve outcomes. But you know, the need is so high and there's not enough of us as there is. So we need to look for solutions to, to be able to give us an exponential impact on, on the system. Right. Um, But as far as, you know, what do I think sits with you guys right now or or with the profession right now is, um, you know, obviously the, from the technology side of things, it's just the whole social media evolution, right. Of, you know, getting your, getting your voice and building your brand and, and the physio brand out into, into the system. And, and just looking at strategies to share knowledge and, and really deliver high impact value to people that don't really know what we have to offer. So, you know, there's that side of things. There's, you know, just the, the techno technology advances for even an exercise program. You know, when I first graduated, I I still remember my last placement. I spent more time photocopying these ridiculous exercise cards that at the time that was, that was the, that was the best thing since like sliced bread. Um, (laughs) And, and I still see that stuff. Right. But the reality is, is, you know, even my grandma has a cell phone right now and she uses it and she texts me all the time. Um, and she'll send me a picture of her knee and say, you think it's swollen? I'm like, mm, yes, yeah, it is. Cause you're, you know, poor lady's 87 years old. She's, she needs a knee replacement, but I don't want her to have one. So, you know, it's, it's just things like that where even, even that in that generation is starting to kind of in, inevitably move with the times. Right. But, you know, creating these tools now that, you know, exercise software that enable communication between, you know, the physio or, you know, the, at least the clinic and that patient to really build, you know, on their experience model and, and make sure that the, you know, the times that they're not in clinic with us that they're still able to feel supported, um, and they're engaged in their program. So there's a whole evolution there of, again, you know, photocopying stick figures to, you know, moving into at least you know real pictures to now video um and again that's going to change even further yet and and like i said you know say the the ai stuff with dave um but then the other piece that i'm actually quite excited about too is the whole tele-rehab side of the coin right so yeah. whether it's from consultation like we see some individuals you know in rural areas um you know doing neurosurgical consults and there's a physio in saskatchewan that that has sort of led that and gave us and did a pitch uh, probably about three years ago too at CPA, just about her fantastic work there. You know, she can't get to Saskatchewan, but she can, through a robot, um, she's able to work with a nurse practitioner to do neurosurgical screening. So such an impressive component for what physio can do. But there was actually an article that I just received this morning before this call about, you know, physician practices in the UK. And UK has a very similar model to to us in Canada where it's, it's a publicly funded system. And they're, the, that public system, so the NHS there is actually funding, you know, these, these, these phone, con, these phone consults. So they can either be video or, um, or just over, or voice only. And they can get a. they're working on models for they can get a consultation within, you know, 12 to 18 hours. And for, pe- for people that obviously just have some simple, you know, maybe not be too complex in their medical, in their medical care needs, they're, that generation, especially, you know, the younger, the younger population, potentially, you know, the millennials are, they're all over it. It's working, it's access to care. So again, it's, it's just another shift of what, what we're going to see. But I think the challenge is, is we need everybody to realize that that's an acceptable option. It doesn't mean that's the option you have to actually participate in as a physiotherapist, but it's one of those things that we need to accept that some people will work in that model and, and there's going to be patients that, are appropriate for that model and will benefit from that model. And it's an option to, you know, see more patients than you would see in a regular clinic setting.
0: Yeah. That was going to be my question is like, why, why do you think there's like somewhat of a resistance to like moving towards those, those, uh, means of providing treatment for people?
2: Yeah. I think, I think it kind of goes back to that conversation too, around just that, that thought process for so long about herb and grain and that it's a hands-on profession and, and it's true. Um, but not all the components of what we do need to be hands-on. Um, you know, I, you know, for me, my, most of my practice now that I still have is, is all consulting. So I don't treat anymore, but you know, my job and what I, what I see is looking at these, you know, spine consults and and hip consults for people that have really been lost in the system. And they've been waiting three years to see a surgeon. they bounced around between multiple clinicians and, and someone just really needs to kind of quarterback their next steps in care. So I refer to physio a ton for these patients Um But because they've been waiting for three years to see a surgeon, they were told never to go to physio because they were waiting. Well, we, we, you know, you might, you might have surgery or be in a wheelchair if you do physio before we can figure out what's wrong with your spine. So there's just lots of gaps there. But for me is when I do follow ups, you know, patients are driving two hours to see me and I've already seen them once. I don't need them to come two hours again to see me. I can, I can touch base with them remotely because that's just the way that my practice is. And, and that, and that type of platform supports it very, very well. And patients are appreciative of it. And I don't have huge overhead costs. I don't need a brick and mortar building to do that. So I can actually reduce some of the fees that these people have to pay for that consultation. Um, but again, there's another, you know, part of the profession that is, you know, if it's not a kind of a hands-on component, that's where they're going to have a hard time with sort of this shift to this new model. And again, not a bad thing, but it creates a lot of opportunity again for individuals like yourselves coming through the ranks that was upon graduation is that that's an area that you guys could really work on improving and building into a clinic or, you know, when it comes even to the public sector, there's an area there that you guys could actually start to look at and work with administration to say that this could be an opportunity to improve our transitions of care, which is a huge piece around accreditation right now that we don't do very well. Or at least we should say there's room for improvement. And I think technology is a room for improvement.
1: I'm totally on board with that. I feel like um, like you kind of touched on it a bit. I, th- I feel like where that can kind of fit in is with follow-ups, right? Mm-hmm. It's just thinking about, you know, even like my brother, you know, he's so busy. Uh, how often is he going to be able to go into physio? But maybe he can go for the assessment. And then you can you can transition towards a more, consultation on a need to, on a need basis, like with tele-rehab. And I feel like that's like a huge way to actually reach more people than we otherwise would. Right.
2: Yeah. And and it's, and if you look at it too, if you bring it back down to that, that ability of how we're learning now, right. So, you know, when you look at the postgraduate education, you know, everything used to be, you have to do it all in person. And depending on where you lived as a physio, it, it was actually very uh, accessible or extremely difficult to you know pursue postgrad training so everything's moved to sort of the you know an online distance platform and then you come in for residency periods or you or you then would you know come in and you would do some you know hands on work or you'd find a mentor in your area to build upon that. So when you look at the educational system, the postgraduate system, we've already seen a shift through technology for evolving adult, adult learning for especially for our, you know for your guys' generation that's what you're used to. Um, so same thing too, is why can't, you know, how we manage patients evolve into that same sort of evolution of, of practice. And I think that's where we're going to be moving to.
1: Agreed.
0: So Daryl, one of the things that, uh, you brought up in your, in your class was this idea of being an entrepreneur. Would would you mind just kind of defining what that is and talking a little bit how that fits into like the physiotherapy profession?
2: Yeah, sure. So one of the things for me is, you know, whenever, when I was going through school and even after it was always about, you know, are you, you know, are you going to be a clinician or do you want to be an entrepreneur? Um, And everybody sort of knows as an entrepreneur is you typically, you know, you identify a gap in the system and you you kind of the thought processes or maybe to simplify it is, you know, you just kind of go and you do it on your own. Um, But what I, I actually did some work uh, at a time with Alan McDonald, who's our, Currently our OPA president and he and I were chatting about sort of, you know, what is the typical physio look like right now? Um, and he and I, or he actually introduced me to this concept of entrepreneur. And, and the reason it resonated with me quite a bit is I kind of felt that's how my career had set off. Um, so really where, what that entrepreneur is, is, is an individual that can still identify a gap in, in the system or the marketplace. But what they do is they actually want to create within. So it's, you know, where you're looking at, let's say, for example, you have a, an organization, you have a great idea, but that organization offers you financial support, it has an infrastructure in place, and it gives you the, the flexibility or it's adaptable for you to be creative and build, and build a new model of care or develop a new program, offer a new service delivery. So it's a little bit more of a supportive system. Um, and, I would, and I would say the reason that's always resonated with me is every time I was sort of in a, in a clinical setting you know early in my in my career i was sort of focusing on okay just develop my clinical skills but very quickly i identified that you know when i was working with pt health at the time you know there there was no mentorship program for physios that were newly hired um you know outside of those that were mentoring me i couldn't really go to another clinic and get mentorship that i wanted really quickly um it wasn't as accessible as i wanted to so again i was put into a situation where i had a I had some financial support to, you know, develop that program. I had the ability to have time away from clinical practice and I had an infrastructure in place that allowed me to develop a program. And again, it was a huge component of, of recruitment. So it also actually created a whole new recruitment capacity to my, to my role within that company. So that's sort of that, that piece. And and over time it it was sort of one of those pieces. I wasn't really at that time, actually, especially after graduating, Wasn't necessarily risk adverse, but I really wasn't comfortable taking a ton of risk at the time, but I wanted, I didn't want to be bored in my, in my career. So that's sort of from an infrastructure standpoint is what I've seen. And, and this is really driven for the creativity of, of the millennial generation, right? There's been actually quite a few studies and surveys out there. Deloitte did a huge one, um, that showed that 70% of people will move on if they don't have, if they don't feel that they, they have growth potential, and growth potential doesn't mean necessarily moving up the corporate ladder. In this entrepreneurial mindset, it means having that ability to champion something um, and have the ability to to create change. Because again, there's there's a huge there's a huge sort of thought process these days that you know millennials are hard to work with. But but again, it, it's not necessarily the case. They have huge potential. It's that I think at times where we struggle is we as clinic owners or as mentors we may not fully understand how. How a millennial is driven, and again, if we give them that that freedom and that capacity to create, I actually think that on entrepreneurial spirit will come out, um, and you'll have the ability to really grow a you know a private practice. Um, you'll be able to actually have a much better outreach, even within um, you know new service delivery models in a public sector as well.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think that was one of the things that really motivated me. Um, from your class was the fact that like we can take this intrapreneur like role and, and kind of lead from the front line and I think we talked about it earlier is like you said if we're going to have a change um, it needs to start from the from the front line and work its way up and I think like this entrepreneur opportunity um, you know for it doesn't even have to be millennials but it, the, the new grads or new physios or people that, that have always had an idea but never had the means to do it I think this is a way that can help allow them to drive the profession forward and not have to take such a, a risk like financially.
2: Yeah, that's right. Do you guys remember that Jack Ma video we that we showed, the Alibaba guy, um, when we talked about entrepreneurship? And, and one of the things too for him, I remember he talked talking about as, as as, as some of you know, these individuals are moving throughout their career and they're in their forties and fifties and sixties. And one of the things that he said is let the young people do it. And I think it's a it's a really key message that I like to always kind of share with you guys is because we you're going to start to see some some PTs, you know prepared to let you know to let some of the reins go and, and give you guys as as this future generation of PTs the opportunity to to improve. Um, to improve the system to to evolve how we practice there's nothing wrong with what people have done in the past but i think the for me what i think the biggest barrier is is not giving you know our young physios the opportunity to do it a little bit different um and it's never to say that what what i've done in the past was wrong i don't think there's anything that's wrong i think the only thing that's wrong is not to realize that the profession is going to going to evolve and it's going to evolve by creative young minds
1: yeah. i definitely agree with that how do you- like, you've talked about how you've um, had some mentorship in the past. Like, how do you feel like a mentor uh, can help with that growth of a younger person?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the mentorship side of things is always interesting, right? And and when you ask a lot of people what, what mentorship means to them, many don't actually know. Um, and, and this happened to me early in my career because I actually had – when I did the mentorship program in the for PT Health is is we had built it in a certain way. We just thought, okay, we're going to do – we're going to have all these, you know, one-on-one sessions. It's going to be a lot of direct, um, you know, mentoring time and things like that. But when you start to evolve, when you actually start to evaluate the program, you're like, Oh, actually that didn't, that may not have worked that well. <laughs> so, so it, it worked for some, but it didn't work for others. So I think, you know, mentorship is sort of like an a la carte kind of, you know, piece. You know, if you guys go, you know, if you guys are going away and I think you guys are probably going away as a class at some point, right? Or did you guys already go to Mexico or something like that as a class trip?
0: Uh, no, that's coming up, it's coming coming
2: up. So again, if you think of that, you guys are not all going to go to the buffet and literally just choose all the same food. Right. Right. So there's preferences, there's needs, there's allergies, you know, there's all these things, but, and I think that's the way that mentorship really needs to be focused. So it needs to be more of a, you know, an initial coaching piece. But I think the challenge is it's hard to, it's hard to go from a, an academic setting where, a lot of your education is based on preceptorship where, you know, you're, i you guys are on placement right now. You're there for six weeks and we're going to try to teach you as much as possible to supplement and, and put into practice what you guys just learned in the classroom, right? It's just sort of how the master's program has been, or the curriculum has evolved over time. But the challenge is, is that each of you is going to respond differently in your professional practice setting. You know, you're going to be in a supportive environment. You may be alone, um, and I think one of the, you know, early on, one of the first pieces is trying to get people to realize that mentorship is about, you know, one, it's a two ways, it's a two way street, right? So if I was mentoring you two right now is I'm going to learn just as much from you as, as you're going to learn from me. And that's a, I think a, key, a critical point to get across in the mentorship process. Whereas potentially when you're thinking about placement, you're probably going to get, well, hopefully you're going to get more from your clinical, your instructor or your preceptor. Because you're in a focus of just basically saying, I'm um, right now in the sponge. Teach me everything you've done in the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And you guys will go away with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas afterwards, this is now a, the first start to your career. And our job should be facilitating you to actually just kind of raise the bar more than you thought you could. Um, but the way to do that is to actually ha- start to create a relationship with whoever your mentor could be. Um, and remember that mentor doesn't always have to sit into the physio world. So for you guys is clinical will be your sole focus. And I think that's n- not a terrible thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's actually probably a requirement. But what it is, is it's a matter of trying to determine what, where do you see yourself for the next, you know, one, three, five years from now? And what are the steps that you need to get there? Um, you know, some of my best mentoring sessions, if you will, or some of my best mentors were just having an hour conversation you know, potentially at one of our conferences over a beer or sometimes it's actually treating a patient, um, you know, and I, you know, you treat the CEO of a huge, you know, national steel company and you're like, whoa, you know, things that this individual says about business is totally different than what my, my thought process has ever been or whatever I've been exposed to. Um, so I think when it comes to that, it's really trying to be able to define for yourself, especially where you guys are now is what does mentorship mean to you and what do you require? Um, or what are you, what are you hoping to see? And just like we expect just, you know, patient, you know, Mrs. Smith comes into your clinic tomorrow and she's got knee pain and her knee hurts and she has a goal, but you will likely surpass her initial goal. Cause we had that, we had that skill set to do that. Her first goal, might say just guys, can you get rid of my pain so I can walk and I can go have coffee with my friends. And once you do that, she's like, well, actually, you know what? I, I can't do stairs anymore. I have to always take the elevator. So I, there's certain restaurants I can't go to with my friends. Can you fix that? Right. And I think that's the power of mentorship for you guys is once you know what you're really looking for, it gives a mentor or potentially you need to find a different mentor that will take you to another level again. And I think when you guys are looking at, and especially I know YouTube from class, is you guys have a big vision and, and the men, your mentor should help you start to achieve that vision um, and, you know, increase even your network because I may not be able to help you guys in all areas of where your professional growth will go, but I, I shouldn't be able to connect you with somebody who, who knows somebody or, or somebody that can do that. So I think the first step is knowing exactly what it is that you, you think your mentorship should look like.
0: Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest things you said, that's something that I've started to realize as me and will have, you know, done the podcast and done the social media thing is that mm-hmm. the mentor doesn't necessarily have to be someone that you physically see or are with every single day. And I think, I think once people start realizing, like you can go out and find a mentor that you see as someone that will work with you, like you're saying that two way street, um, mm-hmm you can do that over the internet now, like the power of, of social media, the power of like, even just this conversation that we're having right now. And I think for, for me, it's just opened my eyes to the fact that like I can go out and find someone that, that aligns with me. And it doesn't, I don't have to just sit and wait or be like, Oh, there's no mentors. I can't find anyone kind of thing.
2: Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think, you know, just even the way that people have, of you know, tap into social media to get their expertise across, right? So, you know, for me, it's been it's become so much more accessible to tap into um, experts outside of the field than it ever has been. You know, so you know, we we were chatting before the we started recording, and and like I said, I was at a fitness business summit, and you guys would have asked me when I graduated if I ever would have been at a fitness business summit. I would have said no chance. <laughs> but I was. I was. Two things have happened. One, you know, the conference was actually really impressive to see, you know, how how a profession that has no benefits, you know, has to do everything out of pocket really has to drive value for a public, for, for, you know, an individual in their community to commit to going to the gym and then stay at the gym. You know, there has to be a high level of value there. Um, so again, it just proves that there's so much more potential that physio can do outside of someone saying, Oh, my benefits ran out. I, I got, I need to stop coming out of your clinic. Um, but at the same point though, it it actually introduced me to a, a whole bunch of individuals who I now have, I've followed, whether it's just with social media or, you know, you, you actually, you know, one of them, I purchased even their, their coaching series on how to be a better speaker um, and following and learning how people outside of your industry have had a lot of success. So, so again, it may not necessarily, you know, this individual may not impact you guys clinically, but again, being learning about who else is in the industry. And if you learn how to be a better speaker, this will improve how you guys are even, You guys have done some awesome work already with the podcast and, and and getting it out there and getting your message across. And then again, you evolve this even further. You know, most people are still, I think at times thinking, okay, how do I, you know, how do I mobilize something better? That's going to come with time too. But if you can learn other strategies to get your message across, which is what this guy's been talking about for me, um, that's impressive. So all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you have a whole new kind of pay forward approach, right? So you paid a little bit of money, you spent some money, but you now have, you know, you went from a thousand followers to 500,000 followers and look at your impact on the, on the community, the profession. I think it's, it's just an opportunity for you guys is to not just rely on, you know, I've got to go to Daryl's clinic cause he's the closest to me and he's going to teach me some clinical stuff. You know, I'm going to rely on Daryl because I, you know, I can access Daryl 24 seven and it doesn't have to be in person same thing as what you're seeing in other other industries you don't you don't have to see you don't have to see that individual in person.
1: Absolutely love that. I feel like that's a good place to wrap things up. We'll give you a couple of our last kind of questions here. So first sure. one is if we were going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone else, who would it be?
2: Oh, good question. <laughs> and I, and it, is it from you guys or who would I want to listen who, to?
0: Like who would you recommend us to sit down with and talk?
2: talk to yeah i think i think because of you guys and and even your technology is your focus on technology i think obviously dave walton from an artificial intelligence piece i think people need to hear that um but i'm just trying to think of who else has had an impact on my career you know i think you guys i think we should do a a session with with jimmy mckay again and, and build sort of that 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 coffee discussion around um you know, being a physiotherapy student in the U S and being a physiotherapy student in Canada, what are the similarities? What are the differences? What are the future challenges? So those would be my next two for you
1: guys. Let's make both of those happen. All right. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll you know
2: what? I have to connect with Jimmy anyway. So I'll, uh, I'll do that today and, and I'll, and I'll get this to loop in.
1: There we go. Unbelievable. All right. Our last question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you could give one piece of advice to a student or even a new grad, uh, what would it be?
2: Yeah. So I think obviously I'm biased cause I'm the mentor guy. Right. But I think, <laughs> um, I think for me, my, my career would not be where it was without, without having, uh, mentors very, very early in my career. And, and some of those mentorships came from, you know, me working as a volunteer actually, and then, you know, working as an assistant with a bunch of physios. Um, and some of it is, is very fortunate that you, you know, those, those individuals become friends of yours too. Right. So, um, but, but I think the other thing is, you know, f- know what you need for mentorship, but also be open to other forms of mentorship that you may not have even considered yet. And, and don't rely on just having one mentor. You know, if I, you know, if I didn't have, you know, Jackie, Sadie and Bev Padfield as my big mentors, when it came to my clinical role, you guys would never see me teaching in the business course. That was, you know, Jackie being another example of a mentor for me to, challenge me to take on that role. So I think there's, there's a point of, of knowing what you want, having somebody identify one of your needs. And sometimes that's, that's kind of a tough love, right? That I've had many of my mentors kind of tell me I need to smarten up. Um, And again, you can either, you know, go into your own shell at that point and and not evolve or you take that, like, you know, take it like a big boy, but, and I was told many times, put on your big boy pants and and it's certainly, you know, I think the payoff is there. Um, and I think everybody, especially in our field and, and those people that want to be mentors, they have a big pay forward sort of philosophy where if we can improve and help you guys as new grads or young individuals to the profession, that gives us even more power in the profession to impact, you know, change and the community of people that need physios. So, so that would sort of be my long-winded one piece of advice. How's that?
1: It's beautiful. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Um, if you want you can just kind of give a plug uh as to where people can find you um on social media
2: yeah sure so uh so you guys probably know this stuff even better than i do because i'm following you and i'm just kind of copying stuff you're doing and and with the you know so still is you know chair of private practice division so one of our one of my new grads and my student reps and I think you guys should come on board too for private practice student, student division. Um, she's actually built our channel. So CPA private practice, um, and she's doing an awesome job. And and then she's going to keep working with you guys to sort of share that to some of our, you know, our clinic owner, um, uh, participation on, on, on Instagram. Um, but for me personally, so you can see me at, you know, my channel is just Daryl Yardley there. Um, so you'll see some, you know, physio related stuff and some clinical stuff and hopefully some mentorship stuff soon. And obviously there's, you know, you guys know, I probably didn't do one, one presentation without a picture of my kids in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so you'll see some photos of those guys, but, but again, you know, the, the new piece for, for me moving forward is obviously doing my sort of give back and my pay forward approach, which is obviously mentorship bootcamp. So you guys can certainly be able to catch me there. And, and obviously there's all this, there's, there's that, in that ability to, you know, you guys know how to reach me anytime through email. So, um, so feel free to always reach out and I'm always happy to, you know, work with my, my new grad colleagues as you're no longer students once I finish working with you. So, um, so anything that you guys ever need, you guys know to, how to find me and I'm always happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time, Daryl. I know uh, the kids are probably uh, almost done with the TV watch and you got to get back to them, make sure they're okay.
2: Yeah Netflix has three shows in a row right so I've got uh, 24 minutes times 3 so we're we're uh we're our time is, I'm sure they're going to be coming down here soon so but uh thanks to you guys for uh for the invite and and the uh the ability to be the first professor on the uh, movement PTs that's awesome and keep up the great work you guys are doing I'm really uh it's it's, a, it's actually really proud to see what you guys are doing so congratulations
0: thank you I appreciate so it
2: too. All right guys I got to go uh I go fill up my my coffee
0: All right yeah. get, get after it alright guys thanks for joining us on episode 11 of the PT Coffee Cast we hope you guys enjoyed our talk with Daryl Yardley Uh, Daryl is one of our professors at Western University and uh, his class really pushed us you know to look outside the box and think about how uh, physiotherapy can start innovating as a profession and has been one of the reasons why um, we've pushed to do what we're doing now Uh, so we'd really like to thank Daryl for taking the time um, to sit down and chat with us Uh, he's a busy guy so we really appreciate it Um, as for us guys you know You can find us at the MVMTPTs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, but more importantly, guys, if you could head over to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, and leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. It really helps uh, give us some feedback on what you guys like about our podcast, um, as well as helps our podcast move up the ranks um, on iTunes. Uh, so we'd really appreciate it if you guys could do that. As well as if you enjoyed this podcast, please just share it with one other person. Again, we just want to continue to spread our message um, and start sharing more of the conversations that we're having with other people um, So if you guys could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, That's all we got for today, guys. Stay tuned for our next episode. Um, I'm sure you guys will be excited about who we have on. Cheers, guys.